Okay, we've hit record for actually recording this time. Yay! And I'm hitting start the... All right, you're listening to Data Plus Love. My guest with me tonight is Hunter Hansen. We're recording on National Women's Day. That's very exciting. We're both dads of daughters. Uh, Hunter, you probably know from his hit blog, The Life Autistic. He's also a business analyst at Apple and does uh, writing for uh, some rural satire as well. Uh, Hunter, welcome to the podcast. How are you tonight? Zach, thanks for having me. I'm here. It's a great <laughs> evening. It's quiet, dark. I'm an hour hour behind on my sleep, but oh well. That's why there's coffee. And Hunter doesn't know I'm about to do this, but uh, we already talked for 20 minutes when I forgot to hit the record button. Uh, that's the kind of professional operation I'm working here, people. So uh, he is now all loosened up. Uh, he's used to talking and has already uh, used 20 minutes of his A material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know all my best jokes and everything that was, you know, I even spoke some Icelandic in that first 20 minutes and it is gone. It is lost in the ether. My apologies. Hopefully we can conjure up some really great sauce in the uh, 39 minutes we have left here. I think we're just going to do callbacks to the uh, unheard episode. Like, remember when we were talking <laughs> about this uh, 25 yeah, minutes I know, ago? <laughs> That one botched joke about Home Depot lumber being ground up into homemade toilet paper. I know, just like that one thing. And you laughed because it was funny back then. And you remember laughing. So, yeah, that would be a, a good meta joke for like this and other just missing episodes in the gap. So this will be like, I don't know, how, how many episodes have you done? Uh, I think six, maybe. Um, okay. I've got five out there. I've recorded six. You're going to be yeah. seven. Number seven. Okay. I believe that is lucky, but am I seven or eight? Like seven A was the, uh, <laughs> the lost tapes and seven B was the rest, but ah, nonetheless, you are right. I'm a lot more loosened. So, but thank you. I, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a hit blog, but it is a blog and it, it's had like one hit, which uh, I will say it's one of the weirder ones because I have the stats and there are a lot of uh, recurring page hits on my one post about working for a boss or manager on the autism spectrum. So I uh, like I remember taking that picture that I used for it. It was probably at four a dang clock in the morning. I, I don't know why I did it. It was early. I, I mean, not why I woke up. I'm, I'm up pretty early, but it was it just happened to serve. And then I wrote out a few points on like, hey, I I'm an autistic boss. I have managed people. I have managed people who have managed people. I've hired. I've fired pretty well. Uh, not for firing, but, you know, for just <laughs> all elements of it. Um, but, you know, like, it was just one of those, like, I, like I said, that's, you know, uh, of my one hit, like, that's one where I feel like people are going to come across that. They're going to come across a manager who they're going to know something's different and not, not bad, but just just different. And I, I felt I wasn't really openly autistic and disclosed back then, but there were things I did that, uh, you know, very much reflected uh, my neurological, uh, my neurological bent and, you know, just things like, Hey, I don't like surprises. So I'm going to be very open about reaching out out of the blue. Like, Hey, Brandon, you know, I know this is sudden, but I want to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. Do you mind if we can meet? Because normally people will just say, hey, can I call you? Are you busy? And like that time I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be managed. <laughs> like, that's, that's, I don't like surprises. Like it's just, there's too many unknowns. And I think that's a normal 
uh, that can be a normal anxiety, but in, in my life, autistic, it is, it is like, uh, it's almost harrowing. So to manage against that was very positive. So yeah, that's, um, that's a long correction, but, uh, <laughs> but thank you. I, I appreciate the compliment. So you talk about uh, sort of revealing to people that you're autistic and being openly autistic. This leads me to a couple different points and I'll start off with one. Uh, at what age did you realize that you were and how did that come about? Man, that's a good one because I, I like you develop a certain kind of self-awareness just throughout life. And then you like just your earliest memories, you know, like knowing, okay, I'm a person. I remember things and you kind of backtrace a little bit of it, but I knew I was different pretty early on. And my, my growing up experience, thankfully it was itinerant. We moved around a lot due to the, uh, the Navy life. But some places were far worse than others and were a lot better at reminding me that I was not like other kids my age. And it was it was unfortunate. It was sad. And, you know, I remember just in tears, very upset and just wondering why I couldn't be normal. Like I would I would have wanted to have forsaken the gifts of, you know, using big words and having a, a, a really prominent memory and, you know, uh, even stilted interactions, acting like a grown-up, like I just just wanted to be normal for a bit. Kind of glad that did not come to pass. But uh, it was, I think it was 15 or 16 when, you know, my uh, parents were just kind of exploring a little bit more of the nuance in in autism and just different, like I think Asperger's and other elements of it. And of course, they were there since day one of my childhood, and it was like they were reading this. I remember just sitting on the couch, they're like, Hunter this is you. I'm like, what? And it was almost like they had just missed that, not, maybe not missed, but you know, the, the science on that back then was just not as, not as great. It was almost like we'd found a profile that fit everything I did as a kid and kind of really connected the dots. But I remember at 16, figuring that all out and thinking, cool, now I know why I'm different. And I worked against that to hide it the best I could because I'm like, okay, cool. And now I know I'm weird and awkward and there's something legitimately strange about me. Okay. Now that I know, how can I bury this and completely reframe it and develop like an Iron Man suit so that, you know, if I know I think like this, how can I act differently? Which is funny because again, we just talked about openness in the space and I kind of consider it my, my open secret these days. It was not always this way, and it took a long time to reckon with myself and to, you know, encounter periods and stages and seasons to where, you know, obfuscating that and trying to bury it was just doing me more harm than good. So I appreciate you and all your work you do with your blog because it's really sort of opened my eyes. I'm neurologically typical. I have a daughter that's not. Um, my oldest daughter, Genevieve's eight, and she has um, she has dyslexia and dysgraphia. So she has trouble reading and trouble writing. Uh, she also is ADHD, which is common mm -hmm. in pretty much all dyslexic. Um, it yeah. was a big revelation in my house uh, because I had a daughter who was you know, in kindergarten even, just pretty good at math, yeah. uh, but didn't really seem interested in any of the writing stuff. And at the time, we just thought, she's not really into it. She kind of blows that stuff off. Then by the time yeah. we got to first grade, it started to become a crisis because mm -hmm. every single night we'd have to go through flashcards. She would have assignments. She would do excellent in math. Um, she would do super poor in any sort of writing or reading thing uh, to the point where yeah. 
I could be, you know, getting her to read simple sentences and there might be a word in there like where, and yeah. she would see it as a different word every single time she approached it. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's when we started to become concerned and, you know, got her tested and found out she was dyslexic. And we're fortunate that, you know, major advances have been made in these areas where they now know, hey, yeah. you can teach dyslexics, but you can't yeah. teach them the same way you teach everyone else. Yeah, it's, I think I am, I don't want to say I'm optimistic. I mean, that, that makes me sound too happy, but I am grateful and I am hopeful uh, just for you know, for like autism in the future and for a whole bevy of, you know, neurological conditions and places on the spectrum. And, you know, to use a cliche, like knowledge truly is power. It's, I mean, it's a key to unlocking. And yeah, sometimes it feels like we are sticking that key into this just dank, intractable lock, but at least we're getting close to breaking it. And just in terms of the, the empathy that we create the awareness and just planting that seed that, you know, these are differences that you approach differently. It's not always a deficit. It's, it's just, it just requires a more thoughtful, understanding, patient approach that isn't, um, you know, if I hark back to just more like traditional mores of, you know, decades ago, it's not, you know, kids who don't want to learn and don't want to behave. There's just a lot of, you know, challenges that many cannot articulate at such a young age until they grow up and start blogging about it, you know. So I, but yeah, I, you know, I, I used to teach sixth grade and I had one kid who had that, a very similar combination and it was, it was difficult, you know, even then to kind of check my own awareness and say, yeah, this kid, you know, unfortunately, uh, not a lot of home support, which really influenced a lot of negative behaviors, which only compounded the fact that, you know, the dude really needed some help and some support. So I, I mean, it's a struggle either way, but I think now that we've, you know, created more understanding around this space, we are, you know, creating more support and honestly creating, you know, better lives, kind of one mind being open more at a time, I would say. So at my daughter's school, we have her in a uh, special school for dyslexia. There's only 14 in the country and we're super fortunate that one is 15 wow. minutes from my house. I mean, nice. it costs a small fortune, but it's there. And yeah. at this point, we can't not intervene. It's This is going to yeah. shape the rest of our life. Um, but yeah. one of the things they do is they sort the kids into houses like in Harry Potter. So they've got hmm. um, four famous dyslexics. Uh, they've got House of Jobs, who I'm sure you'd relate to. Uh, Edison, Einstein, and I'm blind, uh, Newton, I believe. Um, yeah. But they also have this wall of autistic, uh, not wall of dyslexics when you walk in. Mm -hmm. And among those, you'll see Steven Spielberg. Uh, you'll see uh, all the names I just mentioned. You'll see, yeah. um, I think Warren Buffett's up there. You'll see just uh, hmm. Walt Disney, all these people that yeah. were sort of luminaries of creativity and all sorts of different industries that saw things differently. That's one of the things yeah. that's common to uh, both um, dyslexia and autism, yeah. you don't perceive things the same way that everyone else does. The same inputs yeah. are coming in, but they're not being processed the same way. And uh, yeah. they try to make sure the kids realize, hey, don't think of yourself as being wrong or broken. You see things mm -hmm. differently. And obviously, there can be upsides to this if you learn how to you know, take advantage of it. So in terms of that, uh, Adam Miko talks about his autistic superpowers. What's what are your autistic superpowers? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, it's funny you mentioned your daughter. I was the absolute obverse of that. I read from a very early age, had a fearsome memory. 
I joke that it's not really great, but I only do that because I can remember a scary amount of things about a lot of incidents enough to where it just, it ends up freaking people out. So I, I stopped, <laughs> stopped highlighting that. Uh, very good at like a lot of like pattern and aberration recognition. It's like, it's on, it's on hyperdrive. Uh, deep focus is another good one where I can, I, if, so the, the, the older term for it is like autistic obsessions. Uh, I think there's newer language along the lines of enthusiasms that uh, it probably describes it a bit better. And I, I have told people, you know, kind of like hush hush. I'm like, hey, if you want me to like deliver some analysis, you know, I need a date, I need a deadline or just get me curious about it because that like I cannot override that. I will dig into it and just, you know, like I mean, it's bad because I have to budget for it. But, you know, there's just this really deep latched sense of like, oh, my gosh, I have to figure this out. This is just so entrancing and enthralling. So, yeah, memory, recall, precision, order. Um, I'm really tidy, really put together, um, pretty inflexible. That can be a superpower. Um, ordered, tend to be predictable, you know, but I'm also, you know, I, I like to I like to battle back against entropy, right? I just, you know, I, I joke that like some people you can tell they've like lived there and it's just, it just gets uglier the longer they're there. Like for me, I honestly, if I house that for you, you know, it'd be cleaner the longer I stayed there, you know? So I guess that's a good one. Like I, I like to think my wife and kids appreciate that because their toys magically disappear and get put away, you know, as I follow behind them, like Mo, the little robot and Wally. But yeah, more professionally, I, I can also read a ton of information quickly and synthesize it enough to where it gets me in trouble. Like I will respond to a very long email to say, hey, I got it. Great points. Thank you. And get responses like, there's no way you read that. And I said, okay, look, dude, um, I, I used to work on a printing press. I majored in English. I could read 200 pages a night at work. I finished Moby Dick in three nights, you know, and had to write a paper and take quizzes. Like, I'm really good at this kind of thing. And I don't want to have to spell it out. But if you want to check my LinkedIn and figure out, like, why I might have a certain talent to digest and synthesize, analyze, and assess a large amount of information, especially written, uh, yeah, I'm your, I'm your guy. So, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, yeah, we got our share of autistic kryptonite, too, but there's there's some fringe benefits, uh, you know, which is which is good. They serve me well. Well, I can definitely see how a lot of those would lend themselves to working with data really well. I mean, you've got something that could either be highly structured or unstructured. But if you're curious and tenacious and you have a good memory and pattern recognition, that's really going to lend itself to uh, to diving deep into that. I'd like to think so. I it's kind of funny because I, you know, I tell this anecdote to a lot of people and I don't know, it doesn't get the reaction. I, I feel like it should because it, it's just, uh, it's incongruous and it doesn't make sense. So in um, late 2014, I, this is like around when I moved into a managerial level position where I managed, you know, people who managed others, I had six direct reports, had 120 employees total kind of a big deal. I was, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty remarkable accomplishment, you know, and there was, there was a lot of good I did there, but you know, in the interview process, uh, the question was like, what's your biggest area of opportunity? And without hesitation, I said, reporting, like reporting and data isn't my strong suit. And, and it wasn't, 
Uh, it had been a lifelong struggle. I, all of my worst school memories involved math. Um, my joke is, you know, like math, not even once, you know, and I get like, you know, half a laugh <laughs> from people and no, thank you. Okay. You know, it's like, if you got math, it. not even once. okay, I got it. It's like, come on, like, people have got to read somewhere. Anyway. So, you know, I, I chose my history degree and then tacked on another like English major to it with the, like one of the primary goals was to avoid taking any maths classes throughout college, which oddly enough, I found Bo McCready did the same thing too. And I'm like, oh, thank God. There's, I'm not the only one who's special and can do this. So I felt, I felt really good about that. And there's many others who pursued that field. Uh, Elijah Meeks, same thing. Like he pursued more of a liberal arts degree and he's stellar. So I, I feel like there's hope for little old me in that space. But that was such, it was such an aversion that I, I ran from it that um, I will say this. when after enough time in the managerial space, I, I was known as the, the English guy, the, the communications person. Like, if you want a message out there, you talk to H2. And that, I wore that with pride. I had done some temporary job assignments where that was my sole focus. But along came an opportunity where, you know, I, I worked on this uh, said opportunity for a while. And I realized that there were elements of just, it's not always about the numbers, it's about the story. It's about the narrative and the insights. And it's not human to translate numbers into this is what I should do. And I was good at like having to translate that for myself and really shape that into where I can make this easy for me to assess and understand because I don't, I can't look at a number and figure out what to do right away. Embarrassingly, like sometimes simple calculations, I'm like, I got to do this on my calculator just to make sure I remember what 22 minus seven is. It sounds silly, but welcome to my world to where, you know, the numbers don't come easily, but they do come eventually. And yeah, so it's like one of those where I, I got enough of like, hey, you're the communication guy to where I wanted to rotate and try something to where I could come back and be unimpeachable, where I could be the words and the numbers guy. So it is funny now, like, you know, five years in, people now refer to me as the data guy, the reporting guru, the analyst guy, analyst, and I just, I laugh and it's like, you do know my, my true love is writing and satire and wordplay and, you know, even some poetic discourse on Twitter and like that, that's the life I, I was more predisposed to. This data bug is a, is a recent revelation to me that, you know, thankfully we've developed tools that help bring in more you know, artistry, visuals, uh, compelling narratives to where it's not just analyzing rows on a spreadsheet, but rather, um, you know, divining the narrative and the propelling thoughts from them. I can do that. <laughs> and I, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm glad I've been able to, you know, at least leverage a lot of what I feel I've been naturally good at. And, you know, just being able to tie things together, find disparate elements and really, you know, see some signal through noise and, you know, trying to some degree to say like, hey, I'm not crazy. Well, I am, but here's the data as proof. Like, okay, like I don't want to have to convince you with some, you know, rhetorical flourish and sophistry. I have the data to back up my argument now. So even if I'm weird and I'm using a big word you don't understand, data don't lie, y'all. So it has, it has combined to make for a rather compelling season in my career. That's great. I, I have a colleague, uh, Data David Deluxe on Twitter, David yeah. Kelly in person. Yeah. Uh, he was a French major. So, I mean, oh, wow. David is more analytically sound than me. He's like 
deep into that. I am much more of a sort of dig and find, and he is much more uh, methodical. But uh, both of us got there. I came from a business background and got my MBA, and then sort of we both yeah. ended up on a similar path. Um, and have worked together for quite some time, and you know we really uh, benefit from working uh, closely together. But yeah, it's great that you you say that because for me, it's never really been about math because um, I'm not naturally great at math. I'm better than some people I know, but I, I'm never going to be throwing calculus and trig around. Uh, I am like a, I guess, a logic guy. If I can yeah. sort of logically intuit what's missing or what's here and then sort of parse things out and make decisions from incomplete data. Um, yeah. That's what so much of it comes down to. And it's so much easier now than when I was strictly working with like SQL and just business objects yeah. um, using tools like Tableau where I can actively throw up a bunch of charts very quickly to investigate something yeah. before actually having to uh, codify and, you know, solidify something into an idea I'm going to present to somebody else. But it does make yeah. data manipulation so much easier. I mean, even if I'm just answering, answering simple ad hoc queries for people sometimes, I'll just yeah. do it in Tableau because a lot of people respond much better when I'm able to show some visual to it than just strictly listing a column of numbers. I have some business owners that are terrified of numbers. And if you yeah. can avoid just giving them the numbers, that's great. It's sometimes just knowing your audience. That I would say is that right there, the last point, knowing your audience, so key. It just, it just is. I think me, I joke because I, I need to know to what degree can they tolerate my humor? And once I answer that, I feel like it helps unravel so much. Uh, one of the, you know, I, again, can't, can't say too much about work, but one of the things that I've found really beneficial just professionally, I, like I just never thought me being me, that my greatest success in data and analytics would be on the people skills bit. That, like, I wouldn't have believed that had you come back from the future to have told me that. And had you come from the future, I probably would have asked for, like, gambling tips instead. But hearing, like, hey, Hunter, you know how you can't, like, really talk to people and you, you sound weird and, you know, you're just straight awkward. Well, actually, you're going to turn this into a hidden strength. And, in fact, it's going to be a hidden strength to complement something that you built as a strength. I'd be like, okay, but that is, that is my reality these days. And just finding that, you know, when you, when you build trust, you know, like everything seems to follow from that. Like, obviously I, I love, you know, working in Tableau. It's, it kind of scratches the artist itch a little bit. I mean, it helps blend in and visualize different things, but you know, ultimately it's like this, like what I'm going to tell you, you're going to believe. And that's a great responsibility, but being able to show it, almost like puts it in color. Like I, not only do you trust me with this, but I'm going to present it into you, to you with some kind of aesthetic thought in a way that you prefer. Like this is complex enough to where you would get it. This is simple enough to where you, some other person would get it. So it's, it's almost been like a, kind of like a human interaction help knowing like how people perceive stuff, like what they can tolerate, what they like to see, how they respond to it. It's been really great. And it's, it's taught me a lot about people and about design. And that's actually more of what my role is going to entail just as this year progresses. So, which is good. I, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad people uh, are still visual creatures and can respond, you know, to very uh, complex subjects with a simple approach that appeals to a certain resonant part of their psyche that, they may not always define, but they will respond to. 
I appreciate what you're saying about audience continuing on that topic. One of the things about being an analyst as opposed to like strictly being, say, like a data engineer is as the analyst, you're working with the audience in mind. And uh, there's a tenant of storytelling in film, which is show, don't tell. Um, And it'd be very easy for you to dig into some data, throw some stuff in an email um, without any sort of visual component. There's maybe a column of numbers or you know, a crosstab or whatever. And to a certain subset of people, that might be exactly what they want. I know some people like that. That would be exactly what they want. They know how to deal with this. There are a lot of people that aren't going to. And just the fact that you gave them raw numbers is already off-putting and alienating. And knowing what that audience needs and being able to show it and then describe it, um, you're reinforcing the message in multiple ways. And then you're also giving them something that they can easily pass on to the next person down the line. Because yep. oftentimes we know that's what's going to happen. It's uh, Your audience is very rarely your final audience. So stuff mm-hmm. needs some level of permanence and um, tran- ability to transition between multiple persons without you being standard, standing there to hand it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. I I think there's a good... Like I, I'm not... I, this is going to be a weird segue to like data literacy, but I feel like there's a little bit of palette cultivation that exists in this space. Um, I'll give I'll give kind of a, a practical example that involves my uh, satire blog. Yeah, just so I you know I know you I know you brought it up. I, I actually run this anonymously with my brother. Um, I've told a few people, but you just I failed. prefer to. <laughs> That's all right. I didn't tell you what it is or where it's at, but. Needless to say, most this the audience who reads that they're not going to be listening to this, and that's okay. I, I like them to be very separate. But yeah, it's anyway. It's with a, a town that you know we've interacted with, grown up with in uh, in Virginia, and we found that we can like in some cases we got to play the hits, we got to do the memes, we've got to just make like really dumb jokes that, you know, not like ribald or juvenile things, but just something to where, you know, this town is is never going to get an olive garden or there's one mall that is so decrepit that they're going to use it as a location to shoot uh, the next season of The Walking Dead, which like it surprises me how, you know, viral some of that content gets. It's become a thing in this town. But then there's just other like highbrow kinds of stuff to where it's like really juvenilian kind of satire to where memes you get. But when it's like really intricate and like biting at policy, not everybody picks up on it, but we get more and more people who they understand what we're getting at. They are being enlightened post by post, you know, phrase by phrase. The fact that, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to define Horatian and Juvenalian satire or know the difference between the two. But at least, you know, we've gone from people who know the difference between fake news and thinly veiled satire and know, okay, like this is actually funny and nobody would get it. And like, hey, I spotted that uh, Oz reference to the prison warden, you know, in, in this post about them offering you know, lobster and uh, filet mignon at the buffet, like just things like that, where it's like people are starting to notice and, and get that. And yeah, even in even in the satire space, right, that's, that's an effort, but so too with, you know, music, with food, and I think with, with data as well. Like I, I know that, you know, if you, if you love Tableau, then you're supposed to be predisposed against pie charts. 
uh, you know, I guess, I don't know. That's what I heard in training. So I kind of gone along with it, but you know, like elevating, like, Hey, there's a certain way you like to consume data. It just isn't the best way. And it, it like Tableau helps bridge a little bit of that gap. Like, Hey, this visualization will help you understand the impact better or the non-impact. Like, Hey, I can focus on this one element but it's in like this tiny little plot on my box plot, not box plot, my uh, my tree map. There we go. You know, and it's like, yeah, it's red here, but why not chase like this really big part of the truck? And it's just even things like, you know, normally they'd see this as a sliver on a pie chart, which is very difficult to determine. But a small section of a, you know, a tree map may give a different approach to it. So, yeah, I I like being thoughtful about that. It's not a it's not a battle. It's a it's a war. It's a war for hearts and minds. And as with many ways to change hearts and minds and opinions, it just takes time. It takes time and patience. Uh, and I, as I alluded to earlier and in our last episode, I'm always time starved and under patient, but it is a good way to test both. And it does reap its share of rewards. I know exactly what you mean about the war. And obviously it's not a war against the customer it's a a war for the best practice or maybe the thing that will get them get them the answer they need the most because sometimes people have a preconceived notion of what they'd like to see but it doesn't necessarily answer the question that they need to answer um i was doing a project for a senior vice president that i didn't actually even report to so it's kind of an interesting situation i'm not actually even in their structure um but she had some specific asks of what i was working on and one of them was I'd like for it to be uh, on a page that's printable and I don't want any filters or interactivity at all, Um, which is fine. But uh, the restrictions would have required this to be go from like one page to six pages, Uh, six pages that would be difficult to maintain and difficult to troubleshoot and difficult to hand off to another person. So what I did was, you know, uh, she gave me an opportunity to work iteratively with her and provide stuff and say, Hey, is this kind of where you saw this going? You know, do you understand what I'm showing here? Uh, that sort of thing, because you're never quite sure of the level of data literacy and you don't want to put charts in front of people that sort of, you know, they they might say, yes, I feel good about this and then later don't use it. Um, yeah. So I got to a place with one page where she really liked it. And then I pushed a little bit. And I was like, OK, I put a filter on here. I also put Viz and Tooltip. If you hover on this mm. right here, it shows you all this additional information. If you print this, mm, you don't get you. that. Yeah. And um I was able to get a lot farther by delivering what was asked and then pushing just a little bit more um, than I would have had I just, you know, literally just gone with that in the first place. You know, you don't want to be the person that goes rogue because then people see you as you know the person that went rogue and doesn't give them what they ask for. But if you give yeah. people what they ask for and then, you know, just, just a little, little push, sometimes you gain that traction and it turned out to be a huge success for her. I've also in the past done stuff I'd prefer not to do. There's some people that always yeah. want the raw data. Um, Ugh, it's so, like, I tell them like, this isn't like, I'm not a sushi bar. Like, and this <laughs> is, I, 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 you know, you know me, right. I, I actually rehearse almost every conversation. So this was one of those like, Oh, if we ever get to the raw data thing, like there's an interesting extended analogy about like, why do people want the raw materials? You know, and I, I don't, I'm not going to pursue it, but I, I'm with you. I, I can, you know, so I, when I, when I know my audience well enough to say like, look, I, I ain't a sushi bar. I ain't doing fatty tuna, you know, that ain't me. Like I, I don't even refer to my role as, as reporting, you know, like, and I feel like we, yeah, there's a lot of good we could do back in there. 
backing out of that kind of business. But nonetheless, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's a, yeah, I mean, that was, it, that was great. Like I've, I've gone to the point before where I knew there was somebody that always wants that and they always ask yeah. for it no matter what, what I give them. So what I did to sort of test the efficacy of the dashboard pages I was putting out there was I made several very solid dashboard pages and said, Hey, look, I'm going to put an extra page in the back. It's going to be a cross tab. You can apply whatever yeah. filters you want. You can get whatever extract you want from this. Um, but these pages ahead of you are probably going to take care of at least 80% of what you want. Start yeah. there. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to, I had a conversation. I, I don't visit work like, you know, work sites often. Uh, I am primarily remote, but when I do, sometimes interesting conversations just happen. And I was talking with my my predecessor and you know, I, I kind of use like a code because I don't I don't just come out and say, yeah, now, now you guys know I'm autistic and I'm glad you're still talking to me. But no, like I, you know, I mentioned something about getting requirements and it is natural for me to struggle with ambiguity. Um, it just is. And because I know this, I am very active in my anti-ambiguity defenses. I have like my own anti-ambiguity aircraft missile set up, right? So I, I feel bad. My wife, you know, we kind of had a little bit of it and she's like, hey, you know, can you get the chicken soup started? Um, you know, the carrots, the onions, the celery. And I'm like, honey, I, I need specifics. Like, how do you want your onions cut? Do you want them in strands, diced, you know, the onions, like, do you want them, or not the onions, like garlic, like, I had to go through a lit, I didn't get anywhere, she ended up doing dinner, which, thanks, honey, I appreciate it, and turned out great, <laughs> I was like, it's not what I meant, like, I just, because I, I struggle with it, there's so many opportunities for me to go wrong, and if it can go wrong, I'll do it wrong, it is the same way with analysis, to where I know it is a measure thrice and continue to measure until I get it right. And it's like, I rarely respond to an email with cool, I'll build it up. It's like, yo, I, I'm going to put some time on your calendar. You're asking for data to answer a question that you haven't told me. And I tell you, like if I had a nickel for every time that approach worked for me, I would have a lot of nickels. I mean, it just, it helps to be like, okay, hold on. So just so I'm clear, what are you, what are you looking for? Then that's more data. And it's like, well, what are you ultimately going to do with this? Like you're giving me a list of ingredients, white bread, peanut butter, jelly, are you, are you and a, a knife? I can't make a knife, but I can find one. And then apply, I'm like, are you trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Okay, listen, like I've got options for you. I've got better jams. You should try it toasted. Get a different kind of peanut butter. Like how about that? Like ultimately at the end of the day, some people, they really do want a PBJ, but they ask for it by way of, I need peanut butter and I need jelly and they, they don't have to be the ones to make it. So it's like, it's very interesting. And, you know, I should have used a more complicated example, like, you know, chicken Kiev, like, okay, panko breading, a hammer, chicken, tarragon, really good butter, you know, but nonetheless, it's, it's going to segue into another thing that applied today to where like one of the best things we need to cross in the data literacy space is just, it's that leap of faith. Um, you know how if you do a box plot in Tableau, you can hide everything but the outliers, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, okay, I thought right. that was rhetorical. I'm, I'm nodding. I'm, no, no. Okay. We're on video, I'm people. Like, sorry. I, 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 but I, I've told people, like, I would love to show you this, but it takes a little bit of faith to look at such sparse data and to come to the conclusion 
this is this is what I need to action. This is what I need to go after. And it's like I was thinking my daughters, they love to hang from my pull-up bar downstairs. I'm trying to win the family pull-up competition this Christmas. I did not win last year. I will beat everybody this year. It will happen even against my professional baseball playing brother-in-law who by rights should do more than all of us, but I'm going to find a way to beat him. But my daughters, they love to hang. Mo will say, dad, can I hang from your pull-up bar? And then Zoe, she's one. She'll be like, my turn. I hang. Like, okay. So they hang. But with Mo, I, I tell her, like, it's okay to drop. And I have a lot of empirical evidence to say, like, I know when you fall and you keep your legs straight, you're not going to hurt yourself. But I almost feel like sometimes we tell people, hey, you're going to survive this 50-foot fall. I mean, I've got a big old, you know, thing, like a trampoline at the bottom or whatever. And sometimes it's just a lot to ask to where, like, you're going to get to where you need in the end. You're just going to have to trust us on this one because it'll, it'll give you what you need. But anyway, I just thought of that because, again, I, with my younger daughter, I have to catch her if she drops because I can't touch her because she gets mad that I'm interfering with her hanging suspended all 20 pounds of her on like what's basically my ceiling. She's always safe. I've never dropped her, but uh, yeah, anyway, I know we're almost at time. Um, I did want to say like, since you give me the opportunity to plug something uh, I do write at the life autistic.com. I think that's my site. Um, You're not sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know whether it's .org or .com these days. The it's life .com. Autistic. I'm looking at it right com. now. Thank you. I know it's actually, it's, it's not for me folks. It's for the people like me who you haven't met yet. The ones who aren't sharing the experience, but the ones who need to encounter more empathetic and understanding people. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my story. I'll stick to it. I appreciate you having me, man. And this, is, this great. is great. Let's do it again, man. We should. We'll do a part three since you lost our part one. So part the two is good. Episode. But we'll, yeah. So, all right, man. Good chatting with you. All right. Thanks, Hunter. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can 
can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.